welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Join us tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. We do have child care uh, available. Um, kids are going to have their own kids' church next door, and then we'll be over here. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. We are continuing, which, by the way, I'm preaching through Mark verse by verse, and uh, just seeing what God wants to say to us through his word. Mark chapter 1, we're going to start on verse 12, and we're only going to get a couple of verses in today. But uh, Mark has a, has a lovely way of sort of skimming over massive passages. So um, if I were writing a gospel, uh, if God had called me to write a gospel, it would be very long and detailed, and we'd get into all the, all the nitty-gritty, and it would be a million chapters long and nobody would read it. So there's probably a reason why God didn't call me to do that. Uh, rather, Mark, actually most believe that this is written by uh, a man named Mark who was being given the story by Peter, the Apostle Peter. So most believe that the Gospel of Mark is actually from the perspective of Peter. And Peter is kind of an action guy. He's kind of a, a little less conversation, a little more action, please, you know. Uh, he's not really into the, all the discussions. He's into the, the bullet points. And yet here in Mark chapter 1, uh, we see verse 12. It says, immediately the Spirit drove him, that's Jesus, drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. So if we just leave the verse up there, those two verses, that's where we're going to hang out today. Um, I say that Mark skims over this because in like Luke's gospel, uh, I think Luke uses like 13 verses to describe these 40 days. Uh, Matthew uses, I think it's like 10 or 11 verses to describe these 40 days. Uh, a lot happens in these 40 days. Satan tempts Jesus. And there's the three temptations of Satan to Jesus. And so I'm tempted to just dig into all of that, but I, I want to stay true to Mark. And for Mark, that, none of that was that important, apparently. Uh, the, the way in which Jesus shut down the devil with, uh, as he's quoting Deuteronomy to him, you know, in the wilderness. The way in which uh, Jesus fasted, Mark doesn't even mention that. Right, And so it's so many things that we understand from Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, uh, we, we, we don't get from Mark. But, but Mark is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he is sharing with us a message. In fact, I feel like with Mark's message, it's not so much about what happened in the wilderness as much as it is that Jesus went to the wilderness. And uh, actually, Mark gives us a significant shift in the story, a different perspective than either Luke or Matthew. In both Luke and Matthew's account, it starts off the story by saying Jesus was led into the wilderness. Uh, I, think, I think Matthew says straightway Jesus was led into the wilderness. It means right away, immediately. Jesus was led into the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word led, I think... I think of, you know, this, the Holy Spirit sort of gently out there calling to me. 
where my trust is without borders, where I walk upon the water, wherever he may call me. Right? And it's just this kind of gentle hill song kind of moment where the Holy Spirit is leading and there's warm, fuzzy feelings and you know that it's the right direction because it's the Holy Spirit and everything's working out. That's how you know that it's the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I like Mark because Mark gives us a detail about that particular part of the story that none of the others give. They just say he was led by the Holy Spirit. But Mark specifically says that the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Uh, one, of my, one of my mentors, um, T.F. Tenney, Papa Tenney, he said uh, to me one time, he said, where you, where you are determines what grows inside of you. And so where you are is very important. Your location is very important. <clears throat> Spiritually, your location is very But even physically, your location is important. Anybody ever been in the right place at the right time? And uh, if you would have been 30 minutes late or 30 minutes early, that wouldn't have worked out. Anybody ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or maybe the right place at the wrong time? I'm not sure how that works. Okay, more of you have experienced that. So location is important because where you are determines what grows inside of you. What church that you submit yourself to determines what grows inside of you. What small group you join determines what grows inside of you. The people that you choose to associate with and hang out with and make friends with, that, 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 that determines what grows inside of you. And there are certain places we are that maybe we don't want to be, we don't have any choice about. Uh, this past, uh, a couple weeks ago, we went up to Michigan for a vacation and, uh, I drove the kids around, um, uh, Roe had flown home. She had to fly home early to take care of the horses. And so it was me and Madden and Micah and, uh, my family, we were staying in my, my mom and dad's house. And so that's my old stomping grounds where I grew up, right? Port here in Michigan. So I was driving them around some of the places that I've told them stories about. And, uh, one of them was the, was the old church, the church that I was saved in, uh, when I was six years old, gave my life to Jesus there. I was baptized in when I was seven. I had my first vision of Jesus there during a prayer meeting. We had noon hour prayer back in those days, and we lived right next to the church. We actually lived in, in the, the, the parsonage. So we weren't pastors, but um, we were the cleaners. We were the janitors of the church. My parents were really, I, I wasn't, but they were the janitors. So we lived in the, the actual parking lot. So we had this huge parking lot to ride our bikes around every day and all that kind of thing. We also were super close to the church. So noon hour prayer, we'd walk across the street. We were homeschooled so we could just walk across the street and join in with prayer. So I'm sharing the stories and, and Micah said, and, or Madden said, hey, is that, is, that, is, is that where your parents left you that one time? And I said, yes, in fact, it was. That was exactly. Uh, I don't know if you guys grew up in church, but like every, sir, after every service, we'd always go out to eat somewhere. Uh, it was just, it was just the rule, you know, you had to have church and then you had to go have food. And so, uh, us kids, we'd be playing and it was an evening service. I think it was a midweek service, maybe Wednesday night. And, and, um, us kids, we would get out of our class early. I was like seven or eight years old. We get out early and we'd go outside and play in the parking lot. It's a really safe place to play. And, uh, the cars, you know, are driving and we're dodging them. And I just remember the smell of exhaust in the cold Michigan, you know, air. And, and so we'd be running around. And so one night, anyway, I, I, I guess Yes, I was too busy playing. I didn't hear mom and dad leaving. And so Peter and mom and dad, they go and they get in the car and they take off. And then one by one, different people are leaving. And, and I'm realizing that I'm left to myself and I'm all by myself. And, uh, 
and I'm sitting there on the step of the church and mom and dad had gone to McDonald's, which was a couple miles away, you know, and so I'm just sitting there. And so Michael was like, how come you didn't go home, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, I was seven, okay, I didn't think about this kind of stuff. I just was like, I better stay in the last place where they left me so they know where I am. And um, so anyway, I sat there and it, it, when it came time to order, they realized that the, the little, little Harry wasn't there. And they're like, oh, where is he? And so they had to come back and pick me up. And so anyway, sometimes you're left, you're dropped off in places that you don't want to be. <laughs> and sometimes when you're, when you're a kid, that's, that's not so great. And so your parents may have made a few mistakes as you were growing up. I know mine did. And now that their son is a pastor, they get to hear about these mistakes all the time on Facebook. I'm sure it's a blessing to them. Um, it's wonderful. I'm encouraging my kids to not go into ministry. Just, you know, you know, you don't need to do all that. You don't need to get up and talk to people and rehash all this stuff. Um, but no, but sometimes you get left, you get dropped off places. And that's difficult when a, when, a, when a human leaves you or when a marriage breaks down and your spouse leaves you. And it's difficult when certain, when you're in certain places and it's really not your fault, you really don't want to be there. But, but the truth is, if you follow God for very long, there will come, there will come some times where the Holy Spirit will drive you to a particular destination, open the door, drop you off, and leave. <laughs> There's certain seasons in our life. Last week I talked about transitions, divine transitions. I talked about how when Jesus was baptized, this was a divine transition. He's in the Jordan, so this is a, this is a prophetic transition, and it's a historic transition. It's a transition from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus, but it's also prophetic of what Jesus would do. Jesus would take people beyond the covenant of Moses, beyond the law of Moses, into the promises of God. And this was a new level. So there's this amazing transition. Jesus is in the river Jordan. He comes up out of the water. He sees the heavens open up over him like all, all of the heavens, all three of them, they all open up. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and, I don't know, lands on him or just kind of like hovers over. I don't know how doves do, but maybe just kind of my hand is the, the dove just kind of hovering over him. And, and a voice from heaven, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And from other Gospels, we realize that other people around also heard this testimony. They heard the Father say this about Jesus. This is an amazing moment. And he's now revealed to those around him. For 30 years, he's been a carpenter's son. And now, in the eyes of some people anyway, he is the son of God. This is a big moment. You can imagine, he comes up out of the water. The dove is still just kind of hovering over him. The Holy Spirit slash dove is just kind of hovering. And he comes up out of the water and immediately, man, somebody's going to rush up to him and be like, my mom is, is she's really sick. And she, like, she's hospice, hosp they called in hospice. She's got like two days to live. Can, I live right down the road. Can you come to my house? Like if you're the son of God, if you're the deliverer of Israel, if you're the Messiah, boy, have we got some work for you. Like we're in trouble. We're in, I mean, even, even nowadays, if someone were to come, if that very same thing were to happen and someone were to say, look, I'm the son of God, people would start flocking to that person and say, wow, I'm in need. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I can't pay my bills. If I don't, if I don't make the payment tomorrow, I'm like, I'm going to lose my house. There's so many needs. I'm sure the Bible doesn't say, but I can just imagine knowing people as I do that if they see the son of God and if they believe that maybe he is, they're going to rush to him with their needs. 
And Jesus is happy, I'm sure, to hear those needs and to meet those needs. Throughout Scripture, he's constantly going to people's houses and, and meeting needs for them, right? So Jesus' heart is to heal and to deliver and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And so this is his big moment. You know, I mean, I'm sure he was swarmed by folks. I'm, I'm sure there were some folks that just wanted in on the, the fame, right? Like, here's my tunic. Can you just sign the back of my tunic, you know? And Jesus getting his Sharpie out, you know, Satan sucks, Jesus rocks. I mean, you know, he's just like, there's got to be some, some fanboys in the, in the group that just, they just want to be in on the greatest, newest deliverance kind of thing that's happened since Judas of Maccabee about 60 years prior. This is a big deal. He's the son of God, the voice. The heavens just opened up for crying out loud. Like we saw into the, the dimensional reality of, of the place where God is. And we saw the Holy Spirit come down. And, and, and then, you know, there's got to be some people, like the, the publicist, I'm sure, is reaching the card to him. Jesus, we really need to have a, have a, have a conference, a healing conference next Monday night. We're going to start, okay? We're gonna, this is going to launch your ministry. I got a, I got a ghostwriter for you. We're going to write the seven best ways to blah, blah, blah. And like, like immediately, because as soon as God reveals his plan and his reality, man immediately starts building out how it's going to look. So being a human myself, I, I can just imagine that all of that stuff is happening in the Jordan. Jesus is coming out of the Jordan and it says immediately the spirit drove him away from the crowds, away from the opportunities, away from the ministry. Some people are so consumed about their ministry. And yet this, when the spirit drives, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is just the call for some of us. We need to, if God is doing a transition in your life, the biggest thing you need to do is let the Spirit drive. Yeah, but it's a long way to drive to that church. No, no, no. Let the Spirit drive. Like, you don't decide where you work based on what kind of money it's going to get you. Let the Spirit drive. You don't decide what church you go to based on where it's located on a map. Let the Spirit drive. When the Spirit is driving, sometimes it takes a little longer to get there, but it's always worth the trip. Let the Spirit drive. You know, the old song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, which is actually kind of not a very good song because basically I've messed up my life and now, Jesus, I need you to get me out of this. And the great thing is, is he will get you out of the mess that you made, but then you need to let him continue driving after you're out of the mess. The hardest time to let Jesus, let the Spirit drive is not when you're in the middle of catastrophe and mayhem. The hardest time is when things are going well and there's these new opportunities presented to you and God has started revealing who you are and some people started taking notice. They're like, wow, she can sing. Wow, he can preach. Wow, they got, they're really, the Holy Spirit is all over that person. Sometimes that's the hardest time to let the Spirit drive because the Spirit's not mindful of the stuff that we're mindful of. The Spirit's not looking for opportunities that we're looking for. In fact, the Spirit will often pull us away from yesterday's anointing, from yesterday's stuff that was working, from opportunities to promote a particular ministry. And so the Spirit starts driving. And I don't know, I guess I'm just a visual person, but as I start thinking about how this might have looked, it says just in the verses prior to this, like verses 10 and 11, that the Holy Spirit had come down on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then right away in verse 12, it says immediately that spirit or that dove drove him into the wilderness. That word drove is the same word. It's, it's, it's a, in, in the original Greek, it is ekbalo. 
So ek means out and balo means to throw. <laughs> he wasn't gently led. I mean, he was led, but sometimes the way the Holy Spirit leads us is to throw us or kick us out. It's the same word used when Jesus uh, kicked out the money changers in the temple. In uh, John's gospel, when he made a whip and he goes into the temple, and I mean, he literally grabbed them by the shirt collar and threw them out, some of them. Others, they were so scared of the crazy guy with the whip as he's turning over their tables, knocking over their money, and literally hitting them with the whip. Like, Jesus was physically violent. And in church, he's disrupting the... And so it says that, that Jesus drove them out, or he threw them out of the temple. This is a, a violent thing that's happening. Jesus, because the implication is Jesus did not want to go. And nobody ever wants to go into the wilderness. Nobody ever wants to go away from the crowd. Nobody ever wants to go away from the opportunities. Right? Nobody ever wants to go away from ministry, really good ministry, opportunities to heal people, to cure diseases, to deliver people of, of demonic oppression, to, to speak authority. I mean, he had authority over every principality and power. He could have just snapped his finger and began dealing with every single regional spiritual authority in that area. But nobody wants to leave all that. Nobody wants to just say, all right, well, I'm out for 40 days. <laughs> Not at that moment. Like, not, not then. Now, maybe before he got baptized, okay, fine. We'll go to the wilderness. We've just been in Nazareth for the past 30 years making tables and stuff. Why not go spend some time in prayer? But it's so hard to walk away from opportunities, to walk away from uh, anointing. It's so hard to let the Spirit drive. And the Spirit, remember, is in the form of a dove. I don't know how doves... I've never seen it, except maybe like Alfred Hitchcock, like the birds, you know? That's kind of what I imagine. Like, I don't, I don't it's a dove. It's not big. It's not like an eagle. This is a little, this is like, like it's their wingspans, about like this, you know? It's like a little bit smaller than a pigeon. <laughs> and this, this thing is driving. So I, the way I imagine is Jesus comes up out of the water, you know, the, 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 the marketing strategist, the, you know, the, and get with my guy, you'll get with your, hands out the card, you know, and immediately the, the dove is like, it starts eating up the card, you know. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody's like, all right, Jesus, come, come, come heal my mom. She's on hospice. She's got two days to live. So Jesus starts going. All of a sudden, the dove comes around and starts like pecking at his face, you know. It drove him. In other words, he wanted to go one direction. And, he's, and the dove said, uh-uh, we're not going that direction. I don't know what kind of sound doves make. I don't, that's my, that's my, it's like a kind of deranged hawk sort of sound that's coming out right now. But they, they make, they got to make some kind of sound. Like they got to do somehow this dove, which is actually the Holy Spirit, by the way, is communicating to him, no, no, don't go this way. And I doubt it was pleasant because doves don't talk. So it's not like he was like on his back, like nudging him, you know, with his little, his little beak, like, N -n 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 -n. Oh, okay. You know, no, no, no. I, the dove drove him or ekbalowed him or threw him into the wilderness. He didn't want to go. And yet there was this dove. And, and I, was, I was talking to somebody this week and they were, they, were, they were telling me that they weren't really enjoying their times of prayer anymore. I'm sure this doesn't apply to any of you. You've never experienced this. But sometimes if you walk with God for a while, you know, and you're meeting with him every day, you're going into your bedroom, you're closing the door and you're praying. Sometimes it's just wonderful. You feel the presence of God. 
like, uh, man, like, like last Wednesday night, we, we taught on communion, and it was so interesting. I, I've, I've been really digging into the actual presence of Jesus in communion, not transubstantiation, but the actual promise of God to show up, actually show up when we remember his body and his blood, when we participate. First uh, Corinthians says, is, the, is this um, juice not the participation that we have with his blood? And is this bread not the participation that we have with his body? The word participation is koinonia. Koinonia is the word for fellowship. It's also the word for intercourse. So, people are starting to look now. Wait a minute, what? what huh? Is this... So, really, Paul, under the influence from the Holy Spirit, says this communion, this, this bread and this, and, and this wine, this bread and this juice, it's actually a, a communion with the body and the blood of Jesus. It's so interesting. So we, as, and, 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 and I think oftentimes we take communion and it's like, oh, it's a good memorial to remember. But no, Paul says we proclaim the Lord's death. We don't just remember, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we actually have physical connection with the body of Christ. Is this not the koinonia that we have with the body and the koinonia that we have with the blood of Jesus? And if it is, then I don't know, I'm really thinking about, maybe we should do this every Sunday. I think maybe we should have communion every Sunday because as a church, the early church did. Every time they met together, and they were meeting daily. Why? Because they wanted that koinonia with the, the literal, with the, the person of Jesus. And so it was so interesting. We took communion Wednesday night after having that teaching. I think sometimes we have a lack of understanding, and so our faith cannot lock into what we don't understand. So there, there needs to be proper biblical teaching on stuff before we can have proper biblical faith in stuff, before we can actually receive and experience the kind of stuff that God has for us. And so we, we taught about it. We opened up scripture and, and, then, and, then, and then we did it. And then we, then we took communion. And it was interesting. About 15 minutes later, it just hit me. And I, I don't know how long it takes for bread to get from like here to here and start. I don't know all that stuff. But like about 15 minutes later, I was in my truck and boom, the presence of, of Jesus just, just was there with me in my truck. And I, I, I love that. That's beautiful. It doesn't happen like that all the time though. Honestly, as if you go into your bedroom this afternoon and close the door and say, okay, I'm going to spend time with God, you may have a wonderful moment and you may just be talking to yourself, it feels. <laughs> Sometimes. And I, and I was sharing that with this person because they said, I just don't feel, the, I, don't, I don't enjoy it as much anymore. I don't feel God as much anymore. And this is what I found. Uh, one of two things has probably happened. Number one, there's some sin in your life that's blocking you from hearing the voice of God. So that's your first thing to pray. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the first prayer. The second prayer is if there is no sin in your life, if, if nothing's going on, the truth is sometimes that lovely dove that just hovers over you, it makes you feel all warm. Sometimes that dove gets aggressive <laughs> and starts pecking at your neck and starts, you know, swirling around your head and you're like ay, 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 ay. and 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 what, what happens is we can get offended sometimes God pulls back not because he doesn't want to be with us but because he doesn't want to be with us there because we're not where we need to be 
And so the dove starts going crazy and starts pecking at our flesh and our flesh starts, starts getting offended and hurt at God. And it's like, God, wait, I didn't change anything. What's going on? Because this is, this is, this is, this is, the, this is the key. God's not interested in helping you become proficient at anything, including prayer. And the moment you start to feel proficient at prayer, he says, all right, let me, let me back up just a minute. Why? Because he's calling you deeper. He wants you to follow him. That you're in a good place, there's nothing wrong about the Jordan, but that's just not where the next change is going to happen in your life. And so the dove starts pecking at him in order to drive him to the place of greater intimacy with God. Because, because at the end of the day, it's not about your ministry, it's not about my ministry. It's about my intimacy with my Father. And so it can never, it can never be about the opportunities before me. Those are never more important than the, than the person within me the person of Jesus Christ. And so he will, he will sometimes back up, in or, not, not, not for us to get discouraged, but sometimes in our pride, we will get discouraged. Because I don't know about you, but I like to be good at stuff. Does anybody else? I mean, I mean not, not everybody likes to be. Some of you are happy just being mediocre because then nobody asks you to do anything. For them. I don't know how to do that. Don't ask me. So some of you are down with that. I get it. It's a personality thing. I personally like to be good at stuff. Uh, my kids are sort of taking after me. I mean, one of them is taking after me. Uh, Micah found a, a Rubik's Cube about six weeks ago. You guys remember the old Rubik's Cube? I was never able to solve it personally. And so if I can't do something well, I get frustrated and just quit. Usually that's what happens. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I, I had one friend that pulled the stickers off and that's how they got it. And I was like, well, that's kind of cheating. That really doesn't, I don't, I don't feel accomplished now. Uh, so it just didn't do it for me, but Micah got one. It's a plastic one. There's no sticker, so you can't really do that. And he was just fast, and he's just working on it like days and days and days, and finally got like one side. I'm like, that's more than I ever got. That's cool, but the rest is a mess, you know? And so one night I was, I was up. They were all in bed, and I was like, man, there's got to be a YouTube video. Like, that's how I fixed all my cars is from YouTube. So I, I go to YouTube University. Sure enough, there's these videos. These are the algorithms. This is what you do. And so I stay up like, I don't know, a couple of extra hours than I should have, and I got it all done and I left it like in front of Micah's door so when he woke up in the morning he would see it and dad was the hero for the day because dad figured it out right so then they're like dad how'd you do it and I'm like I really don't remember all of it because it was the video and so here's the video and so you know Micah watched the video and he's like oh yeah okay and he just kind of like put it down because he was like I don't know but my my daughter Madden she takes after me and so she was like she 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 got it until she got it and then she didn't watch the video and then she got it and then she tried to get it faster and da, 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 da. and anytime somebody was messed up She's like, hold on, let me take it. And she just kind of fixes it. Because she likes to be good at stuff. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be good at stuff. It'll actually help you in life in general to have a drive to understand something and wrap your mind around it and actually do it well. It's, it's good. But in your relationship with God, that can be a, a real hindrance. Because as soon as you think you're good at it, God will say, all right, let me just back up a minute. Because he's not here to make you really good at stuff. He's here to make you dependent on him. And as soon as you get good at it, you stop being dependent on him. You walk into your bedroom, close the door, you know exactly how this thing's going to go down. I'm going to ask God this. He's going to say that. I'm going to ask him about that. We're going to do that. I'm going to sing this. I'm going to feel that. Boom, 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 because I got it figured out. And then the dove says, no, 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 no. This, is this isn't working anymore. 
It's not that God's mad at you. He wants to draw you closer because intimacy is not you becoming competent. Impotence, it, uh, it, that's, that's actually impotency. That's actually you being, because when it's your strength, it's not real strength. Scripture says that when he comes out of the wilderness, he came out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you can have the power of you going into the wilderness, but God wants to put you through a, a season where you learn to rely on him so that then you're walking in the power of the spirit, which is a lot more power, the kind of power that is necessary for the calling that God has for you. So could you do things in your own strength? Absolutely, but not enough and not effectively and not the kind of way in which God wants to do it. So the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for a new season away from the old season into the new season. And so I just encourage you, if you're in that place and you're feeling frustrated and that darn dove is messing with you and you're constantly feeling like you're, you're in the wrong place, just go, just let him lead. Where, where he's driving you. David said uh, in Psalm 23, he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the, 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 the staff is the part of the rod that had the hook on it that you would grab a, a sheep and pull them back from, from veering off the wrong path. But the rod was the, the other part of the staff, the end of it, where shepherds would lead from behind by just kind of popping you in the rear end every now and then to be like, no, 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 don't go that way, go this way. You know, and I feel like that's how God leads us sometimes. Just boom, boom, all right, move this way. And, and, and David said, that's a comfort to me. Oh, it's not comfortable, but it's a comfort. How can something that's not comfortable be a comfort? Because David is not primarily concerned with his physical comfort. He, his, his level of comfort comes from his knowledge that he's in the place God wants him to be. And so it's comforting to him because no matter where he is, he knows he didn't get there on his own. No matter where he is, he knows he is there with a purpose by God's design. And some of you haven't lived that way. Some of you have just tried to make the best decisions possible so that when things start to fall apart, you kind of go, I don't know. And that's fine. That's a learning curve. You're in a, you're in a, new, you're in a new family now. This, this family is led by the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't always make us feel comfortable as he's leading us. He doesn't always protect our ego as he's leading us. But he is faithful. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He's faithful to drive us if we'll let him, if we'll give him the, the steering wheel of our life, if we'll move over and let him take the wheel. He's faithful to drive us to where he wants us to go. And then when we're in that place, even if it is the wilderness, we can have a level of comfort knowing we are there, not by our own design, but by God's design. And in verse 13, it says, he was there in the wilderness for 40 days. And these are the things that Mark saw as especially important. Number one, he was tempted by Satan. Number two, he was with the wild beasts. And number three, he was ministered to by angels. Now notice he doesn't say anything about fasting. <laughs> that's always the part that stuck out to me I guess as an American going without food for 40 days sounds like a big deal and Jesus was fasting but actually in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel he never the, the writers never say that God asked him to fast they never say that that, 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 that that Jesus had been praying about it and he heard this sermon on fasting and he was like, you know what, for 40 days I need to hear from God, I'm going to fast. No there's, no, there's no intentionality around his fast. 
And so I think Mark kind of helps explain that. For Mark, the fasting is almost, it's almost obvious because he was led into the wilderness. There's no Starbucks in the wilderness. There's no McDonald's out there. Like, like there's no, nothing to eat out there. And Mark basically just assumes that when God leads you somewhere, that if you're truly being led by him, then you will be content in that place with what he gives you. <laughs> He's never been to City Chapel, that's why. He's, uh, but he just assumes, he just seems to assume that people who are really led by the Spirit will be content with what the Spirit gives them. And obviously there's no food out there, so obviously Jesus isn't eating. It was a forced fast, you could say. It was a fast based on circumstances. And this is a key to being led by God. It's as you're led by God, are you willing to only receive what God gives? <laughs> Some of you are thinking about it. You're like, I oh, don't know, I'll get back to you on that, Pastor Jerry. Next week, I'll get back to you. Well, you need to figure that one out. You really do, because if you're going to say yes to God, if you're going to let the Holy Spirit drive your life, then that also means that when he wants to stop at McDonald's, that's when you stop. And if he doesn't stop, then you don't stop. If he doesn't meet the, the check boxes that you had for your life, then you're not going to meet those check boxes. If you're not married by the time you're 30, come on, ladies, then maybe God didn't want you to. You know what I mean? Like if you're following God, then you don't have these set of check boxes. Now you're going to need to make that potty stop because I really need to go every 45 miles. Like you just can't tell the driver what music you're going to listen to. Come on, where's Roe? Where is Roe? Roe is not in here today. Okay, well, this is driving etiquette. If the dude's driving, like if, if the spirit is driving <laughs> come on somebody then don't touch that radio we don't need no suggestions from the back seat what are you talking about if the spirit is driving then he'll decide when he's going to pull over and get something to eat he'll decide when he's going to bring that person into your life he'll decide when he's going to make that opportunity available he'll decide when your husband gets saved <laughs> So we get in such a hurry and we have all of these little check boxes and we're like, okay, God, I want you to drive, but you need to take this route. You need to make these stops. You need to make sure to visit with those people. You need to make sure I get this, 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 that, and the other. But when you're really following, when the spirit is really in charge, here's what happens. He'll drop you off in the wilderness and forget about one of the most basic necessities of life called food. And you'll be there in the wilderness going, wait a minute, Lord, I needed that. Has God ever not given you what you thought you needed? <laughs> yeah. Follow him for five minutes. No, 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 no. Because at first, at first, at first, I know, this is somebody who started following God when I was six. At first, he gave me everything I needed and more. At first, I was like, wow, this is the best thing ever. This is amazing. God's just so faithful. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Like, I was, you know, prosperity gospel. Like, that was like, at the beginning, I get it. Because it's like, wow, look at God just, just providing for me, left, right, and center. And it's true. I read from what, Deuteronomy, last, or, uh, yeah, Deuteronomy last week about blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Absolutely. But like I said, his blessings don't always look like blessings at the time. And the way, if you really walk with God for very long, sometimes he'll bless you with a trip to the wilderness. Sometimes he'll bless you with no food for 40 days. You're like, well, I kind of need food. Technically, you don't. 
for 40 days. Now, for 41, yeah, you probably need food. But, we, we, but for 40 days, technically, you don't need it. Your flesh wants it. Your body craves it. Your mind tells you that you need it. Your emotions blame God for not giving it. <laughs> if God really loved me, if he really cared for me, if I'm really his beloved son. That's the last thing Jesus heard. My beloved son. God in the wilderness. And, and I won't say anything to you for 40 days. And I'll drop you off and literally not give you a lunch meal. Like, and this is where, this is where I believe Jesus' fast was not so much a fast of obedience, because God didn't tell him to fast, it was a fast of faith. And some of you just need to get to the place where you, where you, where you pray the prayer, Lord, if you don't give it, I'm not going to try to go out and get it. Right. And I'm not. And, and, and when I say Lord, and when I say God, I mean, actual God, not um, if it'll be, it'll be kind of stuff. Right. Because there's there's a there's a Texas version of God that is sort of like, well, if it happens, it's God's will. And that's not really true. I was doing marriage counseling with somebody one time and I'm like, so why, you know, why, why do you think you guys should be together? Because pre-marriage counseling, they're wanting me to marry them. And so I'm trying to get to know them. And uh, there was a couple red flags, and I was like, you know, what about this? And what about, have you guys thought about that? And, and she was like, yeah, I've thought about all that, and I've, and I've asked God that if, if God doesn't want me to marry him, just take him out of my life. And he's still here, so, you know, I think we should do it. And I was like, uh -huh. hey, take him out? Like, what do you mean? Jesus isn't the mafia. Like, you can't just, like... Take him out. Like, he's not going to take him out. How does, he, how does God take one out exactly of your life? Suddenly make you not like him anymore, be attracted, make him not attracted to you. Like what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you think God is? He's Cupid or something? He's, he's not a matchmaker. Like he gives you a brain and wisdom and, and then he gives you spiritual leaders to like point out some red flags and he gives you a conscience. And if, and if this person is asking you to violate your conscience, newsflash, not the right person for you. <laughs> I don't care if God never takes them out. Like, I don't even, maybe God's not going to take them out. Maybe God wants you to let him drive. Even with really attractive guys around, apparently, who happen to keep on liking you. Like, it's not all God, everything that just happens. No, when I say the Holy Spirit driving, I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're spending time with him on a daily basis and you're hearing his voice. And if you walk into your room, close your door and you don't hear his voice, my, my advice to the person I talked to this week was don't go out of your room until you do. I'm not going to read my book. I'm not going to turn on Netflix. I'm not going to go to do this or that or the other that I really like to do. I'm going to deny myself until I hear from God. Because oftentimes God's pulling back to see if you'll come forward, if you'll draw close to him. And so go ahead, do it. Go ahead. If God's the most important priority, then, then let him know that he's the most important priority. Turn off other things. Get rid of other things until you hear. Not that those things are bad. Netflix is fine. But, but if you're in a season of dryness, then you need to ramp it up and you need to get rid of some of these things that are sucking dry your soul and connect with him. If indeed he is the most important thing, and, and this, is where, this is where when he leads you into the wilderness, he will, he will drop you off, and there'll be a season of dryness, a season of, of hunger, a season where you're, 
your flesh and maybe even your relationships and maybe even your, your emotional well-being is not, you're not getting everything. If, if you're going to let him lead you, you also have to let him feed you, right? He's in charge. He's driving. And so, Father, I not only let you lead me, but I also let you feed me. And he does that. Notice, though, before he feeds him, he's tempted by Satan. This is important to Mark. The place of the wilderness, the place of greater intimacy with God, will also be a place of greater temptation. Temptation is not sin, but temptation is, is all that Satan can do, actually. That's all Satan can do is he can tempt us. He cannot force a bad attitude on you. He cannot force a bad attitude on your spouse. He cannot force a bad attitude on your kids. He cannot force anything. All he can do is tempt. He's the tempter. He can tempt you, uh, and then he can accuse you before God. These are the things that Satan does, but he doesn't force anything. And so in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted. And Mark says, look, man, in the wilderness, you are going to be tempted. There is going, Satan is going to see an opportunity. Aha, God isn't treating him the way he thought he would. This is my chance. To tempt him to distrust God. To tempt him to do his own thing. And so it'll be a place of temptation. It's also, he says, he was with the wild beasts. Uh, one commentator, I think it was the pulpit commentary, said that the wild beasts at that time would have been like panthers, bears, and possibly like mountain lions. <laughs> so, yeah. He, Mark's the only one who mentions the wild beasts. Because Mark is focused on this place. Because in the place of greater intimacy, in the place of transition where God's taking you deeper with him, there's going to be greater temptation by Satan, and there's also going to be literal felt danger around you. Like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Like, like I could lose my job. I could lose this relationship. I could, this, 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 all this could fall apart. I, I, like, there's going to be actual lions and tigers and bears, oh my, kind of thing. There's actual wild beasts he's living with. You try going to sleep with panthers walking around. Jesus is sleeping with one eye open because at any given moment, those mountain lions could just kind of start pawing at his, at his head. And Jesus sleeps with the danger. Jesus lives for 40 days and 40 nights with the danger. Why? Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. By the way, the wilderness is a place of greater temptation and it's a place of greater danger. But the same God who is with you in the Jordan is with you in the wilderness. The same power that was available to you in the Jordan is available to you in the wilderness. And Jesus, although he is with them, he is not overcome by them. He is not defeated by them. In fact, the wilderness is a place of victory over Satan. The wilderness is a place of protection from the, from the wild beasts. And finally, the wilderness is a place of provision. The angels ministered to him. And so many times we, we pray for the victory and the and the protection and the provision of God great you want to see that come on out into the wilderness you're never going to see that in the Jordan you're never going to see that when when people are all really excited about you and they just so affirming you're not going to see the protection of God when there's no lions crawling around 
when there's no gossip going around, when there's no drama swirling around at work, you're never going to see the protection of God. And so he draws us into this place so that he can reveal his power to us even greater. And, and anybody ever feel like they're in the wilderness? Anybody maybe in the wilderness right now? You feel like you're being drawn into the wilderness? I'd just like to pray for you. So if we just close our eyes for just a minute and uh, let's just pray for each other. If you are in this place or you feel like you've been in this place, bro, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I'm in this place. I need, I need some ministers to come and some angels to come minister to me. I need some provision for God to send some help or at least encouragement right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we see these hands that, of people who are going through difficult times, of people who are going through a wilderness time. There's so much temptation right now by Satan, temptation really to doubt God and to doubt his goodness, to doubt his care for us. This is my loved son is what he said, but then 40 days later, we're not so sure of that love. So Father, first off, I pray that you would just affirm your love of each and every one of us today. Affirm your great love that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Affirm that to us. Remind us again of the cross. Remind us again of the empty tomb. Remind us again of the great plan that made God become man and suffer for us coming to this wilderness. This world is a wilderness. The finest place in the world is a wilderness compared to where Jesus left. And the entire time he was down here, he was tempted. The entire time he was down here, he was surrounded by lions. Literal and, physical, and, 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 and metaphorical lions. People were always trying to take him down. And yet throughout it all, there were so many different instances of your angels ministering to him. And so Lord, right now I pray that you would send your angels to our places of residence, to our homes. Lord, let us see Actual, actually the ways in which you are protecting us, the ways in which you are providing for us. Let us actually see an, an angelic beings around our houses, around our family, around our vehicles. You send your angels to guard us and to take care of us. And so, Lord, let us open up the heavens for us. Let us see what you're doing in this season. And even if we can't see right now, Lord, we commit to trust you. I pray that you would raise up faith. You said faith is a measure that you give to us so you can give more. I pray that you would increase our faith in this season. Increase our faith that we would worship you in the wilderness, that we would trust you in the wilderness. We would see your hand changing us. Lord, we want to be in the right place at the right time. <laughs> we want to be in the right place. And so we let you lead. We let you drive. We commit, during, especially during this season, to press into you. To press into you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. To press into you in our personal times of prayer and of Bible study and reading. To press into you, to lean into it, not pull back from it. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for this season. You're doing something in this season. And we're going to walk out of this season filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In a new level, not from our own strength, not from our own power, but we're going to see what God can do when he fills us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we love you. We'll see you tomorrow night, man. We'll be here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Sharp. Relatively sharp. Uh, come, come, come hang out and worship with us. You're dismissed.